Our New Testament passage today is found in Revelation chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud, now that's important, with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs were like a pillar of fire. Now, remember rainbow. That is a covenant of God, not to destroy the earth with another flood. Remember in the first part of Revelation, we read that God has a rainbow over his throne, always reminding himself of the covenant that he has. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and called out in a loud voice like a roaring lion. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Now, sometimes God says, don't share. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. Now notice, creation. Creation. I mean, have you ever noticed how much creation is taught in the Bible? Everybody wants to talk about the Genesis record. But throughout the Bible, God says, I created the world. Now, now, now Christians, at some point, you've got to break out of a secular society mentality and realize when we believe in evolution, we're saying that God's a liar. The angels don't call God a liar. The angels say, he who lives forever and ever, who created the heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it. God is the God of creation. So please forgive me. Young people, I know what they teach in school. They taught that to me too. But at some point you have to decide, I'm a creation person. And really, even more importantly, I'm a creation young earth theologian, okay? I'm a young earth theologian. I'm not, I don't believe the earth has existed for hundreds of millions of years as it is today. No, I'm a young earther, okay? Some beautiful things that you need to understand about that. God is the creator. But in the days of the trumpet that was about to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. So the mystery would be fulfilled. Then I heard the voice of that which was heard from heaven, spoke to me, saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the scroll. And he said, Take it and eat. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. Reminiscent to Isaiah the prophet again. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach made bitter. And I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. So the book of Revelation is not just a prophecy to Israel. The book of Revelation, again, is a prophecy to the world. Chapter 11, verse 1. Then I was given a measuring rod, like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. Do not measure the court outside the temple, leave that out, for it was given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. 42 months, that's three and one half years. 
and I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,280 days clothed in sackcloth. Now, again, we're looking at about three and one-half years. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the whole earth. All right, so these two witnesses, these two witnesses are the two olive trees and the two lampstands. Now, who are these two witnesses? Well, we're looking at those who did not die. Because remember, it's been appointed unto a man once to die. So we're looking at two Old Testament prophets. I don't dare get into the teaching on this but who did not die. If anyone would harm them, fire pours out from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how they are doomed to be killed. Now, these two witnesses are in the temple for three and one half years. And no one can stop them. Now, now to me, this is God. God does not surrender territory. God does not surrender his house. They put a demon demon idol at the midpoint of the tribulation. The Antichrist will erect a demon idol to be worshipped by the world in the temple. But God still has his two witnesses. And as much as they try to kill him and stop him, nobody can stop him. They have the power to shut the sky and no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. They have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. Wow. Notice, strike the earth, not just Israel. They can call down plagues on the other nations of the earth. You think COVID-19 is bad? Wait till you see that last half of the tribulation. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war against them. Now, this beast is Satan. Will make war against them and conquer them and kill them. So Satan will kill the two witnesses at the end of three and a half years, right at the end of the Great Tribulation. And their bodies will lie in the street of the great city. This is Jerusalem that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some of the peoples, tribes, languages, and nations will gaze on their dead bodies and refuse, refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. They want to gloat. Now, you have to understand, at the end of the tribulation, the devil will kill the two witnesses. Their testimony is finished, but notice, only when they have finished. Satan can't harm you until you're finished. People refuse the burial. TV crews from around the world will be happy. Now, you, you look at this, and you can begin to understand the next passage. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them. Make merry, exchange presents, because these two prophets have been a torment for those who dwell on the earth. This is a second Christmas 
They're going to give presents to each other. They're going to be so happy that these two guys are dead. Now, why is the world going to be happy that two prophets of God are dead? Well, because they shut up the rain. Now, look at this. They're going to rejoice. Why? Because no rain. Turn the waters into blood. Every kind of plague. Yeah, they're going to be happy. For instance, if all kinds of plagues were to come for three and a half years and we were to be in lockdowns and business shutdown and people dying, and you think the world would rejoice over two people who caused all that being dead? Yeah, the world would have a big party. But after three and a half days, a breath, <laughs> a breath of life from God entered them. They stood to their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. Wow. This is a resurrection. All right, you're going to publish all this, putting it on all your TV screens around the world that the, the devil killed these people. Fine. God said, after three and a half days. Have you ever noticed three and a half days? They rise up from the dead. Three and a half days. Their bodies are stinking laying there in the street. Their bodily fluids have gone out. Their membranes, their organs are breaking down. But now they get raised from the dead. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud. So a resurrection and an ascension. And their enemies. <laughs> their enemies watched them. You can't. Some, at some point, men have got to learn you can't fight God. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake. And a tenth of the city fell. So 10% of Jerusalem flattened. 10% of the entire city of Jerusalem flattened. 7,000 people killed in the earthquake. And the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Wow. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is yet to come. Now, again, this is not pleasant stuff to read about the judgment of God. But rather than just look at it as judgment, look on it as the sovereignty of God. That God rules and reigns in this earth. Be encouraged. God is sitting on his throne. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
Testament passage today picks up with one of the most familiar stories in the Old Testament. That is the story of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, so there's a great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, what is he fleeing from? The presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, notice, notice carefully. 
He is not fleeing ministry. He's fleeing the presence. He's fleeing the presence of God. Now, I don't even know what to think about that. I mean, it's one thing to say, Lord, I don't want to go do that. He's not trying to avoid, he's not just avoiding ministry. He's wanting to get away from the presence of God. Now, again, why what's in his heart we'll see as the story unfolds. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but notice he's not fleeing ministry. He's fleeing the presence. But the Lord hurled a great wind against upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. This guy's not praying. He does not want to talk to God. Now, I've met preachers like this in my life. They don't want to talk to God. They want to sleep, but they don't want to talk to God. They're angry. They're upset about something. So they do things, and you can see the anger and the bitterness come out of their heart, but they're not talking to God. <laughs> they say they are, but they're not. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call on your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us so that we may not perish. So, <laughs> why aren't you praying? Why are you not praying? Say, hey, we're all talking to our gods. What's wrong? Why aren't you calling out to your God? Remember, each guy's calling on his God. You know, the Romans had their gods. The, the, the Amalekites had their God. I mean, the you name it, they all had their gods. They said to one another, come let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. They said to him, tell us whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country, and what people are you? He said, I'm a Hebrew. I fear God, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of God because he had told them. Now, brothers and sisters, you never want a Jonah around you. Now, you have to understand, in business, you never want to hire a preacher who's running away from God. Ah. As friends, you never want to take a friend into your house. You never want to rent a house to a preacher who's running away from God. Notice, what's your occupation? Then they figure it out, wait a minute, this guy's a prophet fleeing from the presence of God. You never want a Jonah around you. Now, 
Maybe because I'm a pastor, I, I see this more often. But I watch preachers that God's hand is upon their life to do great things. And I watch them run from the presence. Now, sometimes they actually still do ministry, but they stay away from God. And you can always tell them because they're bitter, they're sold up, their words are angry, they're always got a fight on their insides. You know, th these people are running from the presence because in his presence, there's fullness of joy. Ah, now they may even try to imitate joy, but th there's no joy. You can see it. Now, they may still be doing some ministry, but it's just a, a job to them. It's just a way to earn money. But they're not interested in doing what God asked them to do. <laughs> As a pastor, I've learned, give these people a lot of space. I don't want them in my life. I don't want them as my friends. Never hang out with the Jonah. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Okay. So at least the guy's honest. He said, you know, all this trouble in your life is happening because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode back, rode hard to get back to dry ground, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So notice, they did not want to kill. They did not want to kill Jonah. To be honest, they cared more about Jonah than Jonah cared about them. Now, you think about that for a minute. They cared more about Jonah than Jonah cared about them. So, okay. They cared more for Jonah than Jonah cared for them. Don't you love how my pen erases? Now, Jonah, if he cared about him, he wouldn't have put them in this situation. They didn't want to kill him. Therefore, they call out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish. Now, they called out to Jonah's God, the real God. Do not let us perish for this man's life. Lay not his honest, his innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Wow. Okay. Respect for God. Respect for the true God. These men's lives were never again the same. See, even when a prophet is wrong, God will make something right for the people who try to act right. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. <laughs> that doesn't say a whale. It says a great fish. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the whale. About time to pray. <laughs> okay. You wouldn't pray. You've been running from the presence of God. And now in the belly of the fish, it's about time to pray. Saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. 
For you cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the seas, and the floods surround me, and all your waves and billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Notice, I'm driven away from your sight. Wait a minute. You ran from God, Jonah. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Oh, wow. As dying. See, that's, that's part of the story that we never like to remember. Jonah was dying when he began to pray. Okay? Jonah was dying. I mean, he's in the belly of the fish. He wasn't sitting there cooking lunch on a fire. Okay? He wasn't enjoying. He was in a water-filled environment. There must have been enough oxygen to breathe a little bit. Seaweeds wrapped around his head. I mean, he's dying. And as he's dying, he remembers the Lord. As he's dying, he prays. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I love that. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish. And it vomited up Jonah upon the dry ground. Wow. So Jonah promises to fulfill vows. And then deliverance. Now there's a truth you got to get a hold of there. Because some of you, forgive me, you're in the belly of the fish right now. And you're about to drown. You're about to die. But when you come back before God and say, Lord, I remember you. I've been running from your presence. I'm sorry. What I have vowed, I will pay. I will do what I have said I will do, God. Then God will speak to the problem. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Okay. God repeats. Now, to me, that is an amazing act of mercy. God repeats his will. His will, his command. Arise, go to the city, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Now notice, God repeats his command following repentance. I've watched many preachers go through this. They get vomited up out of the belly of a whale. And then God says, no, my will has not changed. This is what you are to do. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breadth. So if you can walk, let's say, 30K a day at a normal walk times three, you're looking at about a 90 to 100K distance across the city. To walk in a straight line across the city, you're looking at 90 to 100 kilometers. You are looking at a huge 
city, three days' journey. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. All right, so he walks in about 30K. Now, that's a good walk, but that's a day's journey. And he called out, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Now, this is, wow. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. The word of the Lord reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let him not drink, not feed nor drink water. But let every man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let him call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Wow. Repentance. From evil and repentance from violence. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, number one, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Mercy follows repentance. Now, you, you need to just get a hold of that. You know, the, the, there's people in the world today that say Christians have no need for repentance. Well, tell that in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. Jesus called these churches believers to repentance. Repentance always is followed by the mercy of God. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased <laughs> Joan exceedingly, and he was angry. <laughs> now the truth. Jonah hated these people. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said while I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in the steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He said, God, this is why I didn't want to do it. Because I know you. I know that you are good and I know that you're merciful. And I don't like those people of Nineveh. Now you have to remember, these people from Nineveh, these people would literally skin people alive and hang them on the walls of their city, and they had done that to the people of Israel for many years. These people of Nineveh would put people in steel cages and dangle them over the barbecue, dangle them over a fire, putting barbecue, like lechen the tao. They, they, they would literally hang people in cages and watch them starve to death, and the birds pluck out their eyeballs hanging on the walls of the city. These, these were a very cruel people, but notice, they had to repent of their violence. Okay, look at that, violence. They repented of their violence. They repented of their violence. They didn't continue in it. But Jonah hated these people because of their violence. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life away from me. 
for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? (laughs) Jonah, uh, do you have any right to be angry? Is this the right thing to do? Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east of the city, and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now God appointed a plant, and he made it come up over Jonah, so that it might be shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. This plant just supernaturally grew up and gave Jonah shade. And God did that. How'd you like to be sitting on the side of a hill and God just makes this beautiful plant grow up over you and give you beautiful shade? Just, it's amazing. When dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and so it withered. When the sun arose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, yes, I do very well to be angry, angry enough to die. (laughs) Angry enough to die? Angry enough to die? Now talk about an oxymoron, angry enough to die. Anger has gotten out of control when it makes you want to die. See, we don't ever think about anger in that way. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in a night. Should I not pity? God said, now, wait a minute, Jonah. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? He said, should I destroy a city that is in ignorance And should I destroy the animals? Now, two things I want you to see there. God wants to have pity. God wants to have mercy on the ignorant. But notice, God also wants to have mercy on the animals. See, Jonah, don't I have a right to show mercy to the cattle? Jonah, you you want this city destroyed, but what did the cattle ever do? And Jonah, these people are ignorant. I know they've caused great pain and suffering to your, your cup of iron. But, but Jonah, they're ignorant, and they repented of their violence. So Jonah, maybe you need to work on your attitudes just a little bit. See, sometimes, brothers and sisters, we get really upset when God forgives and totally changes and blesses the life of a horrible sinner. <laughs> we get really, really upset about it. And we get really, really mad about it. But God looks at us and says, don't I have a right to do that? (laughs) He said, don't I have the right to do that? I mean, look at Paul. Look at the Apostle Paul. And Paul also says that he was ignorant. He said he was ignorant of these things. Can you imagine the Christians of Paul's day? How many were angry that God saved Paul and that God was using Paul And Paul was seeing signs and wonders and miracles. See, sometimes, folks, God looks at the ignorance of a heart. People are just doing what they've always been told to do because they've never heard anything better. But when Jonah came, 
and gave them something better. They believed in it and repented. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, we need to look at the world around us and realize, yes, the people are in sin, but they're only doing what they know to do. They're in ignorance. This is why we preach the gospel. We show them that there's a better way. And when they hear there's a better way, they repent of all of their awfulness, and God blesses them. Oh, great truth. Great truth today. God is a God of mercy. All right. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock, Book of Romans.